someone's listening to this podcast, they go to Google, they search for SparkToro, they click on the website, and most marketers attribute that to SEO, but it wasn't SEO. That's false, that's totally fake. But what should get the benefit? Your podcast should get the benefit. And it doesn't, right, because the attribution is unsophisticated. Welcome to our weekly show, Brands at Podcasts, where we focus on one thing only, showing you behind the scenes of how some of the best brands in the world are using podcasting to grow. All right, Rand, welcome. So before we dive in to some of the podcasting and podcast marketing conversation that we'll have today, a little background here. For everyone is that you were the former founder and CEO of an SEO software company that many will have heard of called Moz. And you're now the co-founder and CEO of a company called SparkToro, which is a software platform that helps entrepreneurs and marketers and PR folks and product folks uncover the publications people that they want to influence or their target yeah. audience are paying attention to so that they can find them and get in front of them, reach out to them and and possibly get featured on them or publicized in them. And so, you know, you are someone who I deeply respect in the marketing world, have learned a ton from and just really excited to learn from you how you think about podcasting in the marketing mix amongst all the other channels that people have today, you know, stemming from your, your SEO days and every other channel I know that you have tested in used in the past and and where podcasting stacks up against that, you know, now with SparkToro and, and maybe some of the levers you've pulled with that previously at Moz. So thank you again for joining me today and excited to dive in here. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for having me, Eric. Awesome. Yeah. So first to kind of get started here, for those who maybe don't know, I gave a bit of an overview there, but, you know, maybe in your own words, could you describe what SparkToro is and what mission you're kind of on with that now to set some context? Yeah, yeah. So the idea behind SparkToro is really simple, right? It's that you can instantly discover what your audience or any audience reads, watches, listens to, and follows. And the you know that's sort of shorthand for it's a market research tool with a giant database of tens of millions of profiles that have been crawled on the uh, from mostly social and websites, and then aggregated together and and made queryable. Right. So you can say, I want to know what podcasts architects in Canada listen to the most. I want to know which websites chemical engineers in the UK are paying attention to. I want to know what YouTube channels people who are very passionate about the Steven Universe cartoon television show are subscribing to. Right. If you can describe an audience by their behavior or their interests or attributes that they have, SparkToro can tell you what they pay attention to. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And I think it's a really, really, really novel product. Like I haven't. Well, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've been, you know, working in the podcast landscape for a while and and helping, you know, secure interviews for folks on other shows that exist. And there just frankly hasn't been a great tool built for this. And and I know SparkTor, one component of that, as you mentioned, is podcast. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, more broadly speaking, like to how you've approached uh, marketing, you know, in general with Moz previously and then SparkToro and however you'd like to frame that. Could you maybe share some of the channels you have used, you know, successfully or unsuccessfully or notably, you know, lessons learned from them 
and then we can kind of parse out podcasting amongst that. But are there some other key channels you've used to grow both companies? Yeah. So I, I think in you know in a ton of ways, I owe my career primarily to content marketing. And that is what's interesting is I before I knew it was content marketing, right? Or before it was even called that, we were we were doing it at Moz. I blogged five nights a week for the first five or six years of my professional career in SEO. And that blog eventually built a significant following and lots of people subscribed to it and their, you know, their feed readers and their emails. And then of course, as social media uh, grew up on the internet, you know, a lot of people started sharing the posts that I put up via those mediums and, and I would share them and amplify them. And that, that really helped to build the audience that became the subscriber base for Moz's SEO software. And in a, some ways, that has been true with SparkToro as well. Although I would say we've been branching out a little bit with, with SparkToro, trying mm. to center more of the marketing around the brand and building uh, some free tools and software that attract a lot of folks and get, a, get folks to know who we are. A lot of the, what I'd call content that I create now is more participatory. Mm. So I, you know, Eric, I'm, I'm on two or three podcasts a week. Mm very often. And, you know, a lot of that is talking about a wide variety of subjects. I, I was just on a podcast talking about the structural incentives that businesses do or don't have to participate in social good. <laughs> um, right. And so the topics can be broad, but I do a lot of conferences and events, especially the last decade or so. And, and now that's shifted to webinars with COVID. I have done quite a bit of email marketing as well, that's been a big, big channel for SparkToro, probably the biggest channel for SparkToro. You know, but a lot of it is leveraging other people's platforms rather than trying to exclusively build my own, which is, which is what I did at Moz. Has that been a concerted shift for you from that transition yeah. from Moz to SparkToro to have that emphasis and focus on other people's audiences as opposed to building your own from scratch? Yeah, I think it's dual tracked, right? Okay. So the way I think about it strategically is, yes, it's important to build up a, a presence and, you know, continue creating value. And I, I like sharing, right? I like sharing my opinion. I like sharing things that I've, I'm passionate about. Thankfully, I found that those resonate with, you know, a substantive audience in the marketing and tech and entrepreneurship worlds. But it is also absolutely the case that when I left Moz, I recognized Hey, I have a lot of a lot more competition, right? In the audience attraction space, it is going to be very difficult for me to build an audience the size of the one that I built at Moz again with SparkToro, and it's going to be significantly challenging as well because, you know, I gave you the SparkToro description right when we started the podcast. Instantly discover what your audience reads, watches, listens to and follows. What do you call that? Mm. Like it doesn't have a it doesn't have a word or an acronym like SEO or email marketing or content marketing or it's maybe a facet of market research, right? We've been calling it audience intelligence, but if you say audience intelligence to someone, they don't know what that means, right? They're like, oh, what is that? So there's no shorthand for it. And there's therefore not a lot of people seeking out and searching for information about it, unlike SEO, right? SEO is something that millions of people all around the world have been searching for, you know, for a couple decades now. 
And Moz was extremely well positioned to build up a content, you know, resource, set of resources around that and to have regular, you know, video content that I made, the Whiteboard Friday video series, which was very successful, and to, you know, do the blog posts and all that kind of stuff. But with SparkToro, I can't build that audience through search mm. because people don't search out information about this. And so instead, what I have to do is, you know, <laughs> Not ironically, right? <laughs> Intentionally, this is exactly what SparkToro helps with, right? It, it helps find the places where an audience lives, right? Where they listen and pay attention to so that you can go do marketing to them in those places where they already pay attention. And part of that has been me taking you know, my own medicine and doing that for the company. I love it. And what has led you to the podcast route with that. So the, the participatory marketing, I love that phrase. I haven't heard that before and, and it's so true. What of, of the options available for that, what has led you to use podcasting as one of those levers? Yeah, just the data, right? The, the data says that many, many people who are in our world, right? Who are marketers and technologists and people in tech and people who are building products and people who are founders and people who are you know market researchers and are trying to understand other people they listen to podcasts and so podcasts are a great place to do it it's also true i will say that i have a significant amount of experience speaking on stages and that translated reasonably well to doing podcasts without a lot of discomfort um, <laughs> and without you know, I, I don't get too nervous about it. I can explain myself moderately well. I don't know if I'm the best podcast guest in the world, but I'm not the worst. <laughs> um, and so that that helps. And then also podcasts are uniquely well suited to the last six months of our collective existence in the mm -hmm. world where we're all stuck at home and, you know, don't don't have places where we can go. I think that's that was even true over the last couple of years as podcasts were sort of resurgent in the technology ecosystem. So those are all reasons. And they're very effective, right? Like if you listen to a podcast, right? If you're listening to this podcast and Eric and Rand are chatting and you're sort of like, oh, this Rand guy seems like he's not completely you know, mental and, and maybe he knows what he's talking about. I should give SparkToro a try. Mm -hmm. And lots of people do. Right. So when I'm on podcasts, even when I'm not talking about what SparkToro does in particular, people search it out. Right. And you can see that you can go to Google Trends. You can look at the data. You can see when a podcast episode is published. You can see, you know, the search trends and spikes from that podcast for the brand that was mentioned or the person that was talked to. It's cool. That's interesting. And are you is that, you know, tracking and measuring for a lot of these channels, I'm sure. But Definitely for podcasting, attribution can be really tough, you know? Yeah, well, that's because unfortunately, right, what happens is, you know, going back to this example, someone's listening to this podcast, they go to Google, they search for SparkToro, they click on the website, and most marketers attribute that to SEO, mm. but it wasn't SEO, right? right? That's, that's false. That's totally fake. It's wrong, right? Or maybe they type in, right? Maybe they type into their browser, sparktoro.com, and they go to the URL. Right. And so now direct gets the, the benefit. But what should get the benefit? Your podcast should get the benefit. And it, it doesn't, right? Because the attribution is unsophisticated. And look, you know, I, I don't think that the 
traditional method of, oh, let's give a tracking URL or let's give a promotional URL. Eh, it like medium works, right? Semi works. But I don't find that to be a fantastic methodology. I think it's up to the folks behind the brand to be sophisticated enough to go to Google Trends, to go look at, hey, we got you know a bunch of people who visited us. Oh, let's see what happened right then, mm. right? And Google Trends lets you do hour by hour search trend tracking now. So take a peek if you see a spike, right? In your direct traffic or in your search traffic, go take a look at what might've happened right then. And if the answer is, oh yeah, there was a podcast that we were on that was published that day. And over the next 24 hours, we got a 10% lift in our total direct and search traffic, branded search traffic. Huh. I bet that was attributable to that podcast. Maybe we should do more of those. <laughs> I love it. It's so true that reverse engineering is crucial for this if you really want to measure it. And that is the basis upon which you are determining if you should continue doing it or not is having that, yeah. having some sort of quantifiableness to it. But outside of that, Rand, like, do you, outside of the quantifying it, is there a reason you continue? Because it, I mean, obviously this takes your time. Like, you're gracious enough right now to spend, you know, about 45 minutes with me during your week. And you said you're doing about two to three per week, which is a lot over the course of a year. I mean, it sounds like you're you're yeah. stacking up 100 plus interviews. Yeah, probably, probably 100, 100 this year. I mean, obviously, it's especially heavy with SparkToro's launch a few months ago. But right, yeah, with the focus on the launch. And so what are you saying to yourself or how are you determining to continue to double down on this? Is it that quantifiableness that you're seeing with everything you can do to measure it, which is reverse engineering via Google Analytics, which you just described in Google Trends? And then maybe there's some other measurement you know, data that you're able to attribute to, which I would love to know how you're doing that. But is there any other qualitative factors or any, anything else that's allowing you to say, yes, I should definitely be spending my time doing this? So someone told me, I thought this was particularly prescient and wise. Someone told me that the reason podcasts were invented is so that modern men could have deep, substantive conversations with each other and feel okay about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought to myself, oh no, they figured us out. <laughs> Yes. So yeah, I mean, right. Another, an obviously huge qualitative reason that I do podcasts is because I get to build, you know, real connections with people, right? So you and I, we can't meet in person, right? It's not just COVID. We, you know, we're also geographically distributed and I work from home and, you know, maybe we could get together for a lunch or a coffee someday or whatever, but this lets us have, yeah, a really meaningful connection and experience with each other. And if I've learned anything over the last 20 years, it's that a ton of what turns into, I don't want to just say like business success, right? What I want to say is sort of positive life outcomes comes from relationship building. And I really like, I like building relationships with people whose work I admire and who are doing interesting things and, you know, who are up for helping me and whom I can help out, right? And and I don't know how that's going to go, right? Eric, it could be that six months after this podcast, you know, whatever, 50 people tried SparkToro, but none of them ended up buying something. But someone in your network 
reached out to you and said, hey, could you connect me to Rand? And we had a connection and that was super meaningful for some initiative that they're trying to do. And that turned into something really positive. Worth it, right? Totally, totally, totally worth it in my view. And so I am happy to do a bunch of serendipitous conversations that create goodwill and, you know, relationship building and and meaningful conversation. And if folks love listening to it, that's awesome too. Yeah, it's so true. And and that can be tough, you know, depending on how folks are measured by or how they are looking at their goals, you know, whether it's like a quarter by quarter thing or what have you. Because what what yeah. you're describing is playing the long game, which I in total agreement with. Like over the long term. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Tragically, right. I think our our current kind of macroeconomic systems don't reward a lot of long-term yes. thinking, which which sucks. But on the positive side, because not a lot of people are making those investments, they are incredibly powerful. Mm, yes. Yeah. It's less competitive in that sense. Yeah. It's this untapped Exactly. Thing. Exactly. Right. So like lots of people in my position, right? Lots of founders of startups who sort of built things before that had some reasonable degree of success and are, you know, getting whatever new thing off the ground, like a lot of them are not willing to take a couple hours out of their week and do podcasts and do the scheduling and all all that kind of stuff, right? And because of that, you know, I get this unique benefit, right? SparkToro gets this unique benefit from being willing to participate in those things and and happy to contribute and that that I think is is really powerful. I also a huge believer in the idea that podcasts uniquely and video to a certain extent I think also form a more meaningful connection with the people who listen and watch versus people who might read a blog post, right? So if you read a blog post from me or on SparkToro, yeah, you might be like, "Oh yeah, I, I like that blog post that, that resonated with me, made sense. I learned something. I enjoyed it. It was good. I might share it, right? Okay. Could have some positive impact. But if you are listening to this conversation or another podcast that I'm on, the degree to which you form a real sense of who the person is and what they're like and whether they are someone whose work you want to support and amplify is just so much greater. And so I'll take the smaller audience for the deeper relationship. Mm. And it gives those folks, maybe it's the first time they've, maybe maybe somebody's listening to this for the first time and it's the first time they've ever heard of SparkToro, of you. And since you've built up this backlog catalog almost of their, possibly their favorite content format, which may be podcasting, they can go and listen to, I mean, you've done, you know, more than a hundred of these, maybe more than 200 at this point. And so they can go and listen to multiple of them to develop that relationship in an asynchronous way that doesn't require any more of your time than what you've already spent. Yeah, I think there's that too, right? A- absolutely. And and for those, you know, for folks who are building podcasts, right, and, and creating those on their own, that episodic content and the content catalog is an extremely powerful way of taking a shallow relationship and making it a very deep one. And I am a huge believer in the idea that I'd much rather have, you know, a thousand true fans than 10,000, 100,000, a million sort of, oh, yeah, I know them, but I don't have, you know, much of an association or much of a, a connection. Do you think most marketers look at it that way? 
Or do you think that it's the higher the number, the better, and there's really not a discrepancy paid to paid attention to the depth of that relationship? I think, unfortunately, two things are true. I think most marketers view deeper relationships as more positive and worthwhile. And I think the incentive structures of the companies they work at and the agencies they work at don't allow them to make investments with that mindset. Mm. So I think most marketers are aware of it. Mm. They would prioritize it if it were their own company, but they are structurally incentivized to optimize for volume. So coming from the top, you know, leadership at the companies, where is that coming from, from your viewpoint, that incentive structure? Yeah, it is a challenge of scale, right? I think that at a small company in small teams with very little power distance between you know, reports and managers with very few chained communication strings, you can have those types of conversations and make those kinds of investments. But as companies scale up, they need to become, they need to systematize their processes. And that means numbers driven. And numbers driven creates the culture of volume over quality. Mm. Yeah. So it's, it's the system of- systematizing it really is like the the crux of it, like putting a formula almost right. like we yeah, put exactly. X in and we get X out. Yeah. Yeah. The CEO, you know, of even a mid-sized company, right? When I was at Moz and I was the CEO of 150 or 200 people, you know, I couldn't manage every individual person's work and do one-on-ones with everyone in the company regularly and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Right. So it was instead, how do I build processes mm. that can help manage that? And those processes had to have numbers in them and the numbers had to go up for us to see growth, <laughs> right? And so the incentive then became for people at the company to drive to the numbers, right? And do work toward the numbers rather than you know better kinds of outcome. And as much as I tried to push for, hey, let's keep investing in serendipitous marketing and mm-hmm. let's keep investing in serendipitous things and let's put 20% of our budget toward that, it's still, you know, culturally speaking, it just it just couldn't scale up. And I think that that you know, that's one unfortunate consequence of larger scale, but but certainly not the worst one, right? <laughs> there are there are tons of those. And and so with Spark Toro, like my intention is to stay small. I don't want to become big. At least I don't want to become big in terms of numbers of people who work on the team. Mm. Do you think there's a way to if you were to talk to like a peer CEO or CMO for that matter, do you think there's a way to have a hybrid approach of both or do you think it's an either or sort of scenario for the most part? I know it's not necessarily so black and white like that, but how would you look at that? Yeah. I mean, I think that you can have that conversation and you can encourage more investment in serendipitous forms of marketing and relationship building and deepening relationships. And I think that philosophically, most of those people, when you have those conversations, will agree with you. And I think they will also agree that they do not scale well. And so the the way to make it work at scale is to have process and effective process requires numerical measurement and numerical measurement often cannot or does not effectively account for the power of serendipity. And in many ways, like Eric, this is a good thing. Small companies, small organizations, individual entrepreneurs, solo consultants, these people have so many disadvantages compared to big business. 
right? Structural disadvantages, political influence, economic power, you know, dollars to put to work, blah, 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 resources, et cetera. So let's let's just recognize how wonderful it is that at least they have this going for them, right? They have the power to make these serendipitous, more relationship-driven investments and build from that because the last 50 years of you know, American economics have been very brutal for small, small businesses versus big ones. It's so true. I mean, it's almost like a, a secret weapon of sorts, like the larger competitors, quote unquote, depending on what your industry is or vertical is, aren't paying attention to these things. To your point, they don't, right. they don't scale up. So like by nature of them not focusing on it, the audience exists in that channel, but they're not focused on it. So that means it's relatively wide open for you potentially. Yeah. And this is true for a lot of marketing channels, right? Like yeah. a lot of marketing channels require individual outreach and relationship building and work to reach a relatively small, but potentially very valuable audience. And so most big businesses ignore them and just throw money at Google and Facebook because they can get the scale that they need from those investments. And thus that leaves these other smaller channels and individual tactics with huge ROI and low competition. Mm. but you can't get the same scale. And that is that is exactly where I think the savviest, the best marketers are making their investments and helping to build small and medium businesses in awareness and in brand and in driving high quality traffic. It's underinvested and therefore it's really valuable. And it'll be interesting to see how it transpires over the next you know, five to 10 years. And we can cover that here in a moment. I'm curious to hear what your take is on the future of, you know, what well, we're talking about podcasting, but also these other other serendipitous sort of marketing relationship channels as well. But let's talk about how to do it. So, you know, you, you've set the context for why you're doing it, which is amazing. Like, how are you going about it? Obviously, you've built up a really strong brand yourself, you know, from Moz and your personal brand, and then now on to Spark Tour. So I'm sure you're getting some inbound, yeah. you know, which is actually what happened here. Like I reached out to you and, and invited you on the show. Are you doing any, you know, using Spark Tour yourself? I'm sure to some degree, mm -hmm. but like, how are you, how are you lining up these opportunities for podcasts and what goes into that? And, and any other nuance you think is valuable to actually securing it, doing the interview and ensuring it goes well? Yeah. Sure. So I'll start with the first part, which is kind of identifying podcasts. So for example, I wanted to help SparkToro get some visibility in the market research space, which market research is very survey driven. Most people who say market research or you know are professionals in that field think almost exclusively of survey data. Some of that is becoming more sophisticated with, with panels of data, you know, that's sort of tracked, but it is it's still a pretty survey heavy crowd. So I yeah, I did some searches on SparkToro. I identified some outlets. I started following those people on Twitter and then having conversations with them there. I started reaching out to them on LinkedIn. I think don't think I even needed a an introduction, right? I was just able to sort of like send a LinkedIn connection, say, "Hey, I went and checked out your your blog, your podcast and and really liked it and hoped we connected here on LinkedIn." And I do not I don't know if this is right for everyone, but I don't reach out and say, hey, are you looking for a guest on your podcast? Mm. I think I probably could, but instead I wait for them to kind of come to me. And that has worked really well. 
<laughs> so some of that, no doubt about it, is the fact that I already have like a you know a medium well-known profile in the web marketing space and have you know lots of followers on these social networks. And so you know when people, many people who see my name, you know, connect with them and having conversations, they like kind of like get a sense of oh, this person has some credibility right behind them and some experience. And then they see me sharing other podcasts I've been on. And then they see me, you know, talking about some subject that is interesting to them. Or one of the most effective ways, to be honest, that I found is to listen to other people's podcasts and then comment on them, right? Especially on Twitter, super effective. You call out somebody's podcast, they're like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for listening. And then you can reply with things like, no problem. If you ever need a guest, let me know. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> like, I, wow. I, the emails, they just pile in, right? In fact, I don't even think I reply with that. Oftentimes, I'll just reply with, my pleasure. If there's ever anything I can do for you, my email direct is randatsparktoro.com. Boom. Like I get an email, you know, not always, but very frequently within a few weeks, I get an email from that person. That's amazing. And what I love about that, and this is something we talk so much about, is you provided value to them first. You know, even though it's very likely you could have sent just an, an immediate pitch in, in a very transparent, authentic, personal way, and that would have been fine and helped secure it. Yeah, yeah. But you you actually led with promoting them without them having to do anything first. And that is so rarely done that that it's cool to hear that that's what you do. And then also it's cool to see it another data point for this and, and why we believe so strongly in that is the effectiveness of it. Because again, what we've been talking about is everybody doing it one way and thus leaving an opportunity for someone to do a little bit more work, but it to be more effective. And that's exactly what this is. You know, it's more work for you to go and grab the show and put it on Twitter and like write something about it and then not know if that's actually going to help, you know, secure the interview or not. Sure. But, but sort of having a hunch that it will and it playing out that way. So, yeah. And like my intent behind that, right, in the long term sort of memory bank, I'm thinking, hey, it would be cool if someday this person invited me on their show and like we did a show together. That'd be really fun. But also, if that never happens and all I end up doing is promoting and helping them, that's still a good thing. Yes. Right. That That's not, I'm not doing this like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm reminded of the, the, what was that? The, the famous Simpsons episode where, where like Fat Tony, you know, and Homer are uh, interacting and he's like, oh, Fat Tony, do you mean to tell me the mafia only did me a favor to get one in return? For shame. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's not, yeah. I'm not only doing this, you know, so that the mafia will do me a favor, right? So they'll, right. they'll give me one in return, right? Like I'm, I'm doing it because I genuinely believe in it. Like I'm, I am super picky about what I amplify. Mm. Right, you will not see. I think in the last six months, you've maybe seen me promote. I don't know two podcasts a month. Yep. Right. So not even all the yep. not not even the, all the ones I'm on. Yep. Um, and that's because I'm very picky about the, you know, the way that my social channels and my sort of feed is consumed, and you know, it has to be high quality. It has to be endorsable, and and so when that endorsement happens, right, I want it to be genuine. It has to be genuine. How are you tracking these, Rand? Like, because, you know, just from like, you know, the knowledge of of us doing this for quite a while as well, 
it can be challenging to keep track of, especially when you're playing the long game and it's not a transactional thing, but it's, it's you promoting a show like, and then, you know, hoping a, a byproduct may or may not come from that, but you're good either way. But do you keep track of like a list of shows that would be, Hey, these would be amazing to possibly get interviewed on at some point. Yeah. And then keeping track of like touch points that you're doing with them, or is it a little bit more loose in that? No, that's yeah. So that's that's exactly what SparkToro makes this really easy, right? So like, not to promote our own stuff, but you know, when I did that search, for example, for you know, my audience uses these words in their profile, and I looked for market research, right? So like market research professionals, and then I just clicked on a bunch of the you know, podcasts and, and blogs and other stuff and added them to a list. And now I have a list, right. That I like went down and went through the process of building connections. And, you know, I'll, I'll refresh that probably every three to six months. And that's just one, one niche, right. So I can go after others. I, we've been seeing a bunch of brand agencies, branding agencies have signed up with SparkToro at, at a relatively high clip. So I think I probably need to get more into brand marketing and, and reach out to some brand managers and that kind of stuff. And like, you know, look at the titles of people who signed up for our product, go plug those into the tool, see which, you know, sources of influence are affecting them, and then go build relationships with those places. Yeah, because it can be when it's not systematized, like to the 100th degree, it can be tough to keep track of like, hey, when should I follow up with someone if I haven't heard from them or, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's not generally my approach, right? I'm not like a whatever, a link building outreach specialist who like tries to, you know, get a link from this website for, for months at a time. Like, no, 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 no. You know, I am essentially spreading my effort across a bunch of different platforms and networks and then seeing what comes back in, right? And the return tends to be high enough that the relatively light level of, of investment, right? We're talking about creating a relationship like this, you know, uh, yep. following someone on a social network, reaching out to them on LinkedIn for a connection, going and checking out their their work, reading their blog, you know, listening to their podcast, watching their video, whatever it is. And then if it's amazing, right, sharing it, amplifying it somewhere, sending them a note about it, that, that doesn't take very much time. You know, maybe, maybe we're talking about, I don't know, two or three hours a month yep. to go do that in sector after sector. Like it's, that is a very light amount of effort for a high potential return. That's interesting. That that's an interesting approach. Basically, just spreading the efforts and, and placing a lot of emphasis on that initial effort. And then what comes from that is essentially what comes from that over the long term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Right. So I am not I, I am not putting a ton of effort into the follow up process. I'm not putting a ton of effort into sort of, you know, whatever pounding the streets to like get that, get that one interview or whatever it is. I'm, I'm also not doing a lot of effort to track it. Like mm, I, I have mm -hmm. enough faith and confidence in yes. the data that I've seen, yes. right? I know the rough size of audience. I know the rough size of, you know, I can look at a podcast social accounts usually and tell how big their audience is. And, you know, that totally works. And then I just count on the return. I don't have to you know, I'm not reporting to anybody. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the cheat code. The cheat code is, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I know what works. I don't have to report and prove it to anyone. No, I, I think that's so true. And, you know, maybe just out of curiosity, on the return standpoint, is there a, a particular interview that, you know, you can look at of, of those that you've done and, and just 
been sort of wowed by by the impact that it had or or maybe broadly or taking a little more broadly like is there a way that you could peg a percentage of revenue impacted or attributed to spark toro that that you think could be stemming from these podcast appearances that would probably be pretty difficult to to do and i also want to be sensitive to the fact that marketing is a multi-touch process, right? So a podcast appearance, if you hear about SparkToro this one time on this podcast, your likelihood of going and trying the tool is reasonably low. But the third or fourth or seventh time you've heard about it, you're like, I really, I should give that a spin, right? One of those times you're going to go and give it a spin. And, you know, whatever, 1% of the people who try a search on SparkToro are like, oh, damn, I need this right away. Like this is this is amazing. And hopefully five or ten percent will sometime in the next year or two experience a problem in their business or work or marketing or whatever, where they go, Oh man, SparkToro would really be helpful for this. I should go back and find that. What was the name of that tool? Oh yeah, I heard it on this show. I'll look up that show. Right, Randfish. Okay, SparkToro, that's the one. Yeah, let me go check that out. So, you know, the attribution is going to be really challenging, but recognizing that marketing is multi-touch, knowing that, and then making investments accordingly, that's powerful. Yeah. And I totally agree because it's from the multi-touch standpoint, this is an audio format, obviously, like a long form audio format to your point previously. So like you can have blog posts, you could have ads, you could have, you know, just regular social, you could have video, but this is just an, it's another tool in the tool belt to give potential customers the chance to get to know your brand. Exactly. Exactly. And in your own voice. But yeah, and then I'm curious, it sounded like you had an idea of maybe one or two shows that come to mind that you did an interview on and and saw like a pretty a pretty sizable impact from. I'm curious like if anything comes to mind for you from that just from a getting specific standpoint. Yeah, uh there was one that a, a couple of our customers reference the Everybody Hates Marketers show. Mm, yep. Which I think is hosted by uh, Louis Grenier. And yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. Everyone hates marketers. I did that, gosh, a few months ago. I think it came out in May or June. No, I did the interview in May. And it came out in June. And uh, yeah, it was uh, crazy to see like how many people know, resonated with that particular interview. So then are you tracking that or where are you getting that feedback from? Is it like a form, you know, drop down? Like, where did you hear about us? Like at the sign up process? Yeah, yeah. So we did a survey of our paid and free customers. So basically free users, anyone can sign up and, and run a bunch of searches on SparkToro for free each month. And and we have 10,000 people who've done that. And then we've got a, about 170-ish paying customers so far, which is okay. We launched in April, so that's all right. And we sent them surveys and asked them how they heard about it. So seeing seeing that Everyone Hates Marketers podcast, I think four times or something in the list was like, whoa, holy, holy moly. And of course, <laughs> I saw it on uh, Twitter as well, right? So you know, lots of people saying, oh, I saw at Ranfish, or I heard at Ranfish on this great interview. You should check it out, that kind of thing. That's cool. Where else did you see? So among the mix, did you see other podcast like comments or and then, you know, were there any other interesting finds? Yeah, there's a lot of like there's a lot of broad ones, right? So like I heard Rand on a podcast. I yes. heard Rand on a show. 
or I watched an inter- I heard an interview with Rand, something like that. Yes. Right? So that's less attributable because I don't know which one it is. Right. They probably don't remember which one it is, but that's okay. Well, to your point, that's the whole, that's actually the whole point. Yeah, that's the whole point. It's like you believe in the, this strategy as a whole, and that is proving that it's less tied to a specific short-term show or like, hey, I'm going to go focus on five shows or 10 shows. The fact that they're mentioning they heard you on a podcast, but they can't remember one is is actually indicative that the entire long-term strategy is the whole point. Mm-hmm. So that you give yourself as many at-bats as possible and people will li- maybe listen to a bunch of them, but won't tie it necessarily to one specific show. Right. So, okay, that's awesome. Well, yeah, so let's, you know, as we kind of come to a, a landing here, I'm curious where you think this is all headed. Like, where do you think podcasting is headed amongst marketing in general, but on-demand audio or, you know, how people are interacting with content over the next, you know, however long you look out. Like, I don't know how long you look out to sort of future yeah. pace things, two, five, 10 years, but I'm curious what your what your views are on that. I am a huge believer in episodic content, right? So producing consistently similar formats with a consistently similar voice in a way that resonates with people and that gets better and better over time, right? Sort of like episodic television. You know, you're, you think of your favorite whatever Netflix show or Hulu show or what have you, those networks are building fans, not just audiences. And that I think is a superpower in the marketing world in particular. And that episodic content could be podcast, it could be a video series, it could be a blog, it could be an email newsletter. Yeah, it could be dozens of things, right? But the idea behind the fact that there's a content catalog, a backlog Mm. that you can go through if you enjoy one thing Right? I listened to this one podcast. Gosh, that was really amazing and remarkable. I should go check out some other ones from this person. I think that that's incredibly powerful. And I think there's also a, a huge opportunity for the, the host, creator, you know, people behind it to keep honing their skills and getting better and better at something and getting better and better at resonating with an audience. Mm. Right. So you you get these just multitude of benefits from episodic content that I think doesn't come from classic one-off content marketing. Let me write a, you know, a blog post or a news article or whatever to try and target this keyword. Like I, mm. I don't, I don't think that works in the same way. Yeah. It's something to follow. And in comparison to ads too, like oh. you turn off ads and the asset is it's gone. gone. Yeah. But with this, you're, you're, you're building a marketing asset that I mean, it's like a a repository basically that lives on forever as long as you keep it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can build fans for a lifetime. Yes, I love that. Awesome, Rand. Well, well, thank you so much again for all this. And I guess last question here, you know, if you had one piece of advice here for a a fellow CEO of a software company or a CMO who's in a role now looking for channels to get up and running and they're thinking about podcasting, like what would be one piece of advice that you would give them to consider or to guide them in the right direction as they get started with this? Yeah, I think it depends on the company, but I would I would just explore two avenues. One, podcast sponsorship is dirt cheap and incredibly powerful. And a lot of podcasts need advertising revenue and the host is the one delivering the ad and it is <laughs> yeah, ludicrously low cost per for the reach that you get. 
So I would seriously consider that, especially if you know that a podcast resonates with the audience. The second thing that I would say to folks is if you are considering making the investment, be aware that it's a long-term one and it's a serendipitous one. And so instead of having a marketer or uh, you know your team, your consultants or whatever sort of tied to, hey, how much revenue can you attribute to this channel? I would instead say, hey, we want to try and get a dozen podcast appearances over the next two years to audiences that we know, you know are listening to these podcasts and they are our core customer. Let's go find those. Let's go seek them out. And success is, were we able to you know, get on one of these shows or, you know, get someone from our team to be a contributor to one, not how much ROI can we prove from getting mm. on there? Yes. I love it. Well, thank you. Thank you again so much, Rand. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. It was, it's been amazing, like following your journey through Moz and then now on to Spark Toro. I wish you nothing but the best. And I really recommend everybody check that out. Like I said, there's no other tool like it. And exactly what we're talking about today, like it's so powerful to give people a head start on this process that you just described, because it can be cumbersome to sort of start from scratch with it. So commend you on what you've built. And if people want to keep up with you, you know, is there an ideal place for that, whether it's social or SparkToro website or anything else? Yeah, yeah. So I, I write regularly at the SparkToro blog and I'm most active on Twitter where I'm at Randfish. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Ren. My pleasure. Thanks for having me here.